Bridge Bank helps breakthrough ideas actually break through and remains dedicated to providing financial solutions to the risk takers, the game changers, and the disruptors. Bridge Bank, a division of Western Alliance Bank. Bridge Bank, be bold, venture wisely. Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable, human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. From KQED. Good morning. This is the California Report. I'm Saul Gonzalez in Los Angeles. The protests against police violence in recent weeks might be starting to have a dollars and cents effect on where cities choose to spend their money. In L.A., officials are considering an up to $150 million cut in the budget of the LAPD. That money would instead be spent on jobs, education, and social service programs in poor African-American and Latino neighborhoods. Activist groups like Black Lives Matter have called for deep cuts to law enforcement budgets. But critics say that would further endanger communities that are already vulnerable to high crime. Staying on government spending and priorities, as California wrestles with the cost of the coronavirus pandemic, leaders in the state legislature have struck a deal on a framework for a new state budget. But KQED politics editor Scott Schaefer says it leaves a lot of questions still unanswered. The agreement accepts many of Governor Newsom's proposals to close the $54 billion deficit, including canceling most of the new programs budgeted before the pandemic. There are also key differences. Lawmakers reject the governor's cuts to higher education and affordable housing. Assembly Budget Chair Phil Ting from San Francisco says they're trying to make the best of a very bad situation. We wanted to make sure that there was more money for homelessness. We wanted to make sure there was an adequate safety net. Uh, We didn't want to be in a situation that we cut services and then we actually brought in more revenue than we thought. The plan also gives the federal government three more months to send relief money before making deeper cuts. Now lawmakers will hash out the final plan with the governor with less than two weeks before their deadline. For the California Report, I'm Scott Schaefer. Legislators are constitutionally required to pass a budget bill by June 15th. California counties must hold three days of in-person early voting before the November election. That's one of several guidelines set out in an executive order issued Wednesday by Governor Gavin Newsom. That to address concerns of holding an election during a pandemic. KQED's Tara Seiler reports. This latest order follows another last month requiring counties to mail ballots to all registered voters. But Newsom has acknowledged the need to provide some in-person voting for those who want or need it. The order specifies how many polling locations counties can have and that there must also be at least one ballot drop-off site for every 15,000 voters. The rules will ultimately provide more clarity for counties, which will have to find poll workers for several days of voting with no clear idea of how many voters will show up. For the California Report, 
I'm Tara Seiler. You might remember that Pacific Gas and Electric filed for bankruptcy in early 2019, a few weeks after the campfire, the deadliest fire in California history. Now, PG&E is close to getting out of bankruptcy. A few weeks back, survivors of several fires caused by PG&E equipment voted on a settlement. The utility says they overwhelmingly supported the deal. But a KQED investigation has revealed that many ballots arrived several weeks after PG&E claims they were mailed out. Now there are calls for an audit of the vote. The California Report's Lily Jamali has more. The group was supposed to have six weeks to vote on their compensation deal with PG&E, but more than 200 have told KQED they got their ballots just days before the May 15th deadline or even after the vote was over. That's what happened to Roseanne Brand, who lived through the 2017 Tufts fire. I said, boy, they don't give you much time to fill it out, and I wondered why. PG&E and Prime Clerk, the company it hired to conduct the vote, have declined to answer that question. PG&E is opposing calls for a vote examiner. In a statement, it said that it's in the final stages of being able to pay victims fairly and quickly. For the California Report, I'm Lily Jamali. Thousands of people turned out last night for a rally against police violence and racism in downtown Oakland. The event was called in defiance of a curfew imposed after recent police violence protests. Unlike some recent anti-brutality demonstrations, this one ended joyfully. KQED's Alex Emsley was there. A huge crowd packed around Oakland City Hall by 8 p.m and then listened for a few hours to speeches about police violence and calls for local reforms. And then, more than 100 people started dancing in the street. Jane Tamayo was one of them. She says she made the trip from San Jose to stand with her people. We're not out here to be violent. The people who are looting small businesses and stuff, those aren't protesters. And I think that dancing together is like a perfect way to show that. We're out here late, we're breaking curfew, there's been no violence, just dancing. A large group of police officers stationed several blocks away did not move to disperse the crowd or enforce the curfew. For the California Report, I'm Alex Emsley. Let's turn to technology. The ability of artificial intelligence programs to recognize people's faces has many governments and businesses around the world salivating at its possible applications. But others, and this won't surprise you, are scared of how the technology could be abused. In California, a bill introduced in the State Assembly, AB 2261, attempts to create ground rules for the development and use of facial recognition in the state. But AB 2261 is opposed by civil rights and digital privacy groups. They want to see a prohibition on facial recognition technology in the state. I spoke to Haley Tsukayama of the Electronic Frontier Foundation about that group's opposition to the bill. The regulations that are in this bill are, are quite weak, and um, they set minimum standards that say, you know, a lot of things about governments having to say we're using this or giving notice or doing things like that. But in terms of actually addressing the harms that we've seen play out in communities across the country, these regulations don't go nearly far enough. And um, there are people who say, well, it's a first step, we can build on it. And I do understand that argument, but I think in this particular case that, you know, having made a lot of fights on face recognition legislation, I think making a first step that is this week really risks normalizing and sort of opening the door for people to use face recognition in ways that would still be harmful to communities. 
And when you say a ban, does the Electronic Frontier Foundation, I mean, is that literally a ban across the board? No use at all of facial recognition technology? No government use of face uh, recognition technology, uh, especially without a warrant. It's pretty well documented that use of face surveillance tends to target sort of these systems are overdeployed in in, minor, in minority areas and minority communities. And so given the the backdrop of everything that we're facing right now, I think one key reason that we're really worried about um, weak regulation sort of normalizing the use of this is that, you know, it could be used to further target those communities at a time when they are already, you know, facing trouble um, speaking out uh, in, you know, in protest uh, for their own communities and for their own rights. And we would hate to see the traditional biases of policing aided in any way or normalized in any way by this legislation. All right. Haley Sukayama of the Electronic Frontier Foundation. Thanks so much. Thank you. In other technology news, companies that gather your information online were hoping the California Attorney General's office would delay enforcing the state's landmark consumer privacy law. Well, it appears they might have another thing coming. Rachel Myro explains from KQED's Silicon Valley desk. The California Consumer Privacy Act went into effect on January 1st. The law grants consumers the right to know what information companies are collecting about them, as well as the right to delete or opt out of the sale of that data. That's why you've been seeing all those requests to hit I agree or opt in on websites lately. Attorney General Javier Becerra is now asking the state's Office of Administrative Law for an expedited review of proposed regulations so enforcement of the CCPA can begin is promised on July 1st. Here's Becerra promising that last December. We're going to try to make the law as clear and unambiguous as possible. And we're going to try to help folks understand our interpretation of the law. And once we've done those things, our job is to make sure there's compliance. Experts expect Becerra's office to issue a lot of warning letters and a few lawsuits to serve as prompts for those companies that are either making no effort or very little effort to comply. For the California Report, I'm Rachel Myro in Menlo Park. And that's the California Report for Thursday, June 4th, a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm Saul Gonzalez in Los Angeles. Be well and have a good day. Support for the California Report comes from Eric and Wendy Schmidt, whose Fund for Strategic Innovation supports transformative ideas that benefit humanity while protecting the natural world, recognizing through science the interdependence of all living systems. Earth Justice, a national nonprofit law organization fighting for the right to a healthy environment. Earth Justice, because the earth needs a good lawyer. And Paint Care, ideas for storing leftover paint to keep it fresh and tips for using it up can be found at paintcare.org. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. Hi there, I'm Randa Dirfattah from ThruLine. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. 
You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. Hi, I'm Sasha Coca, host of the California Report magazine. Every week, we bring you stories about what connects us in the giant, diverse Golden State. Because what happens in California changes the world. I love this place. We were once seen as like the place to be California. The land of milk and honey, that's where you go to Sunshine State, but we just have challenges right now. KQED's California Report magazine. New episodes drop every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts.